Well, I appreciate those of you who have hung through the series with us. Now, if you've been coming the past few weeks and you've thought, ah, Witty, I just don't know. Some of the things you're saying, like that, oh, that word, like submit last week and stuff like that, that was tough for my skepticism. If you're a skeptic today, you are going to have a field day, okay? So, like, skeptics should be the most excited people in the crowd right now. Because you're going to make so many arguments against what we're going to say today, and that's okay. Um, no, I can't help it if you're... No. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that wrong. <laughs> I don't mean that. I don't mean that. I don't mean that. To draw that back in. Anyway, uh, what we're going to talk about today is crucial as we finish the series. Now, this summer, we've been trying to make a point that, um, that you and I... We're created in God's image and we've been redeemed by his son. And when that happens to us, he says that we are his greatest work. We're his magnum opus. We are his masterpiece. And that comes from this verse in the book of Ephesians. For we are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And, um, a couple of things that this means for us. One is, is that because we are God's greatest work, your life has tremendous potential. You are created for a grand purpose. And we're going to see a little bit of that today. You're created to do something special with your life. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at five things that the Apostle Paul said you have to do to reach your potential. Last week, we looked at three key relationships that are, are really important that you and I cultivate by allowing others to speak into our lives. And the other thing that we've seen over the last couple of weeks is, is that none of us can do this alone, okay? We need one another in order to do this, and that is certainly true today. And so today, we want to see the Apostle Paul's final piece of advice. And in fact, this is how he begins the passage with the word finally. Finally, there's one more thing I have to say to you, but it's based on the back end of this verse. We haven't actually looked at it yet. For we are God's masterpiece. We focused on that. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Now, this part, most of us, like, we get that. Of course, we're gonna be Christ followers. We're gonna do good works. But that's not all Paul had to say about it. He said, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Well, what is this all about? When did God plan for you and me to do these good works? Says he prepared it in advance. Advance of what? Well, this phrase, prepared in advance, actually translates just one Greek word. And this word is also only used two times in the New Testament. And both times it's used, it refers to God's plan that those who would choose to believe and follow Jesus would live lives that reflect God. And Paul tells us that God planned this out long before we existed. Now, there is a story that most of you don't know, but I'm gonna tell it today. It's gonna take me a few minutes to do it. But it kind of serves as a backstory to what the Apostle Paul wants to say to us in the verses we're going to look at today. And this backstory is something that is crucial if we want to understand the last thing we have to do to become the masterpieces that God designed us to be. 
Now, we believe, because we believe in the existence of God, we believe that he has always existed. Even when there was no time, no matter, no nothing, God himself has always existed. But we are told in the Old Testament that there was a time when God created two things. He created angels and he created this universe. I want us to read about that in the book of Job. God was having a conversation with a guy named Job. Job had like, man, I'd really like my day in court with God. I'd love to talk to God. And so God showed up one day and they had this conversation. This is part of it. And God's asking him, he says, where were you, Job, when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me. Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Now, y'all, we believe that in very poetic language, this verse is telling us about whenever God created the universe, and I believe that he created it through the Big Bang. I think there was a point in time when there was no matter There were only God and these spiritual beings. And when he created the universe, the angels were already there. They saw him created. It was the most incredible fireworks show ever. And they worshiped God and they gave him great honor. But story doesn't stop there. The angels had a hierarchy. There was structure to the way they existed. And the lead angel went by the name of Lucifer. And when Lucifer saw these other angels worshiping God, he wanted that. He became jealous. We read about it in the book of Isaiah. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star. Literally a translation of this word. Son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth. You said in your heart, I will make myself like the most high God. And so whenever Lucifer saw the other angels giving glory to God, he wanted that same honor. And so he deceived a third of the angels. But God knew that because he knows all things. And so God cast Lucifer, changed his name to Satan, and cast him together with a third of the angels down to the earth that now existed as a result of the Big Bang. Not the earth as you and I live on it today, but as it was originally created. And so you would have thought, well, maybe Satan would have gotten the point and he would have you know, ceased from wanting to be in the place of God, but instead he led a rebellion against God. And so God at some point decided to prove to the angelic hosts, all right, decided to prove that he alone is the one true God. And he could have done that simply by destroying them. But instead, he chose a different approach. He chose to create another being. And those other beings are humans. It's you and me. And he, his reasoning went something like this. I will create these other beings. And even though they are spiritually inferior to the angels, it is so obvious that I'm God and Satan is not. They will choose me. And so God created us to choose between himself and Satan. And so, uh, one of the things that that shows us, one of the things it teaches you and me, is that our choices, our choices about how we live life, what you get up and do every day, things you may not even think about, your choices are like casting votes for who you believe God to be. 
When you make choices that honor God, you reflect your thinking about who God is. But we know that over human history, plenty of stories that most people have in fact not chosen God. And as a result, this separates us from God. And so what God did is he came to this earth as Jesus of Nazareth to die on a cross, to pay for our sins, to restore us to a relationship with him. And he rose from the dead as proof that he was who he said he was doing what he said he did. Paul summarized it this way. He said to do good works in which he, pre- which he prepared in advance for us to do. This is what he did in advance. God determined in eternity past that you and I should live lives that reflect that we believe that he is the one true God. And so the choices that you make about Jesus have huge implications. They determine whether or not you live as a masterpiece, but they determine way more than that. Well, now that you and I have this backstory, I want us to connect three dots that the Apostle Paul makes in our text today. These, with this backstory, the verses are going to make sense to you. The first dot that I want us to connect is that there is a spiritual battle going on around you and me. We are affected by it and we can't see it. Here's how the Apostle Paul said it. He said, finally... Be strong in the Lord. This is why he's saying be strong in the Lord. And in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, with our backstory, this verse makes sense. You now know who the devil is. The devil is Lucifer, created by God, who deceived a third of the angels, wanted to take the place of God. God changed his name to Satan, and he is actively interested in defeating God. You also now know who the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms are. These are those angels who were deceived by him and who are now in rebellion with him against God. And here's something you need to know. These angelic beings, Satan and his followers are against you. And they are particularly against you if you have any interest in doing what we've been talking about this summer. If you want to live as a masterpiece and reflect Uh, God's character in your life. The second thing, the second point that I want to draw together is that Satan does not want you to believe in Jesus or to live a life that honors him by following him. So one of the first things that he will try to do is he will try to prevent people from hearing this good news that Jesus came and he died to pay for our sins and he rose from the dead and that through faith in him, believing that when he died, he died for you. And that when he rose from the dead, he proved that you could have eternal life and putting your faith in him, he'll try to prevent you or try to prevent your friends or people in your family from hearing that message. 
But should you hear it and should you believe it, then he'll move to step two. He will try to say, okay, all right, you believe, but I'm going I'm to try to prevent you from actually living like you believe it. I'm going to try to prevent you from becoming a follower of Jesus. I'm gonna, he's going to try to prevent you from pursuing hard after him or changing your routine so you don't exclude God or, or giving your life away so that you can imitate God or caring about the people who've been put in your care or allowing other people to speak into your life or living according to what is good, right, and true. At every step, Satan will try to prevent you from living like a masterpiece because when you do these good works, it brings honor to God. And you cast your vote that I believe that God, the creator of the universe, is the one true God. And so y'all, every single time that you live like a masterpiece, you are bringing honor to God. And every single time the angels are celebrating and it means that you being a masterpiece is about way more than just having a happy Monday. Do you know why a bunch of us go to... You know why a bunch of us go to church on Sunday? Because we think, you know, if I go to church on Sunday, maybe God will do me a favor on Monday. <laughs> Isn't it? We're kind of doing business with him. It's called transactional religion. God doesn't work that way, but a lot of you hadn't caught on yet. He's, you still hope that he'll do that. All right, being a masterpiece is about way more than having a happy Monday. I'd like you to have a happy Monday too. But what really it's about, it's about you reaching your potential because when you reach your potential as the person that God created you to be, it brings honor to God because you have chosen him. And so Satan tries to stop that. Now, a third thing that I want to connect the dots on is that Satan is actively attempting to prevent you from making choices that honor God. And he uses several ways. He tries to cause you to doubt and if he can't get you to doubt, then he'll try to discourage you. And many of you are living lives. I know, I know you talk to me. You're discouraged by what's going on. Or maybe even a more common way is he'll just try to distract you. If he can just distract you away from God. But perhaps the most common way to prevent you from honoring God by living like a masterpiece is to convince you that basically everything I've said up to this point isn't real. And this is where some of you who might be skeptical in the room, you might say, you know, Witty, that like five things we've got to do to reach our potential and cultivate three relationships. That sounds pretty reasonable, but this stuff you're talking about right now, like, dude, you are loony. Okay, I get it. I get it. But I want to suggest that that's one of the things that the devil tries to make us do. In the sixth century, <clears throat> Sun Tzu, the Chinese general, said this. He said, all warfare is based on deception. All right? If you want to win, you got to deceive your enemy. So tomorrow when you go to work, just tell them, you know what my preacher taught me this weekend? Like if I'm going to kick your butt and I am, I'm going to deceive you. And I learned that at church. <laughs> All right. You guys finally got it. The other services haven't gotten it yet. That was a joke, but if that's all you want to take away from today's talk, all warfare is based on deception. Now you know how to win. Well, Satan is trying to actively deceive you and me. 
And here's how he does it. Instead of you and me getting up every day focusing on how am I going to live a life that honors God? How am I going to follow Jesus? How am I going to imitate him? How am I going to live like him? He tries to use our problems to get us focused on something other than following Jesus. Typically, that either involves our stuff, right? Either you think you don't have enough and you got to get more, or you think you have too much and it's, bare, it's a burden on you. Or he gets us to think about other people. He tries to distract us through bad relationships, and we got plenty of those. Or maybe he just tries to get you distracted with yourself by being totally self-focused. And, um, and he does try to do all, all of those kind of things. So what we do is we look for solutions to our problems, right? And some of us think, well, if I make a few more bucks or if I eat a few less calories or if I run a few more miles or maybe buy a few more clothes or some of you think maybe if I wear a few less clothes, you know, people pay attention to me or maybe marry a better man or get a different woman or get a tattoo or transfer to a different school or move to a milder climate. I mean, I'm tired of 105 every day, you know, that kind of thing. Or if I change careers, if I do all, some of, one of any of these things, maybe my life will be better. And the thing I want to point out, there's nothing wrong with that list except that, have you noticed that usually our solutions are physical? If I can do something physical, y'all, why don't we ever assume that maybe the answers to our life and to the mess we're in are actually the answers are spiritual? Well, there's a reason. And many of us don't know why we never consider that the solution might be spiritual. It's because of a common way of thinking that most of us don't know about. Three centuries ago, in the early 18th century, there was a philosopher by the name of David Hume. And if you are a skeptic here, he is like your great, 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 great grandfather. He's the author of skepticism. I mean, you probably read his stuff. If you haven't, you ought to. And so, uh, if you want to become more skeptical. So, David Hume believed two things. David Hume believed that unless something is true by definition or is verifiable through the five senses, taste, touch, smell, sight, sound. He said, unless it's true by definition or the five senses, it's meaningless. Don't even talk about it. It's not true. 200 years later, there was a guy by the name of A.J. Ayer, and Ayer took Hume's two essential elements for truth, and he turned them into what is called the principle of empirical verifiability. That means if you can't measure it, taste, you know, test it in the lab, it's not real. And this, this way of thinking overtook American university life in the late 20th century when a lot of us either were going to school or your professors that you've had in school were going to school, your teachers. And it became known as a philosophy called logical positivism. Now, all this stuff in white right here, most of you don't care about any of that. And I get it, just a few weirdos like me. But Everybody should care about this because logical positivism said nothing beyond what is physical is real. And y'all, this way of thinking has taken over Western culture. This is how we think. This resulted in a new religion uh, called scientific atheism. This is why the God of the Bible is kind of a joke nowadays. And if you were to go to a university class and try to defend him, you might get laughed out of that class. This is why Jesus of Nazareth has been redacted down to the Da Vinci Code. 
This is why the church is irrelevant, has nothing to say to people's lives. And here's what you need to know. When this becomes your view of reality, when you think that nothing beyond what is physical is real, this determines your spiritual fate. Because if we are in a spiritual warfare, a spiritual battle, but we don't even believe it exists, you will lose every time. And that's why the Apostle Paul wrote this. He said, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, Y'all, you don't know how badly I want to talk about stand your ground right now. It is the coolest stuff. We don't have time to talk about it today. But I do want to explain what Paul is doing here. Like, what is the full armor of God? Well, y'all, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote the book of Ephesians, he was in prison. He was being guarded by Roman soldiers. And so what he did is he used the way they were dressed to talk about this full armor of God. And here's something you need to know about how Roman soldiers wore their armor. They wore an outer layer of armor over an inner layer. And these two layers are closely connected to each other. And so Paul told us what the inner layer was. He said, he said stand firm then with the belt of truth. So you can imagine that buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And so he talks about a belt of truth, a breastplate of righteousness and shoes of peace. This is the inner armor. We're going to come back and look at this in just a second, but let's go on and read about the outer armor. He said, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. This is the first piece of outer armor with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the second piece, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's the third piece. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. And so I want you to understand a little bit about the um, outer layer. I'm not going to say a lot about it, but I want you to see these two layers. I just want to make a few comments about it. We're going to focus most of our time right here. But the outer layer is made up of what is very obvious religious Christian qualities, characteristics, or armor, as Paul calls it, faith, salvation, the word of God, prayer. Y'all, this is something that every one of us who says, I've believed in Jesus and I want to follow him, we should know about this stuff. Like faith is what protects you and salvation is what allows you to make the most of your life when you understand it. And the word of God in Paul's thinking, his analogy was the only offensive weapon that you have in your hand, the scriptures. And then prayer is what keeps you alert. And so Paul uh, was telling us that these are armor that you and I need in order to win this battle. But 
It, one of the things that I just want to say, and I, I'm fussing a little bit, but don't feel like I'm mad at you. I'm not mad at you. I just care, is that a bunch of you really don't know much about this stuff right here. Okay? I mean, I'm... And so you're going to get your butt kicked. I hadn't thought of this. It's kind of like going out to play professional football, but eh, I don't need a helmet and shoulder pads and all that. I'll go mix it up with those guys. Do you know what they're going to do to you? Oh, God. It's painful to even think about, right? And y'all, that's what's happening to us because we don't have this outer armor. We don't know anything about it. We don't ever read the scriptures. I don't ever pray. As a result, we're going to lose. But I need you to know something else. If you don't have this, it just makes you an easy mark for the devil. He's going to take you down every time. But here's another thing you need to know. This outer layer all hung on the inner layer. If you didn't have the inner layer as a Roman soldier, the outer layer would just fall off. It wouldn't hang on you. It wouldn't stay. And so the inner layer became what was crucial. And it's crucial for you and me if we are going to become the masterpiece that God has designed us to be. And so I want you to hear something. If you don't have this inner layer of armor, this outer layer is irrelevant. It's useless. This is just religious stuff without this right here. And this inner layer is what the Apostle Paul said we need in order to reach our full potential. In a sense, it is what Paul said it meant for you and me to be spiritual. And y'all, this is the message I'm trying to communicate. I want to communicate to you today. In order for you and me to reach our full potential, we have to wear the inner layer of armor because everything else hangs on it. And this... Excuse me, defines for us what it means to be spiritual. Spiritual people base their lives on the truth. And the grand truth of the scriptures is that the God of the universe, who has always existed, created this universe and created us to make choices to follow him. And that means that people who want to live by truth order their lives after Christ. Y'all, that's what it means to be spiritual, to have a consistent Christ-like character. Not only that, but people who want to be spiritual, they put on the breastplate of righteousness. This means they care about what is good, right, and true. That means you ditch the darkness. And y'all, we've been saying this for three weeks now. Sherry said it first. But in order for you and me to reach our full potential and be the masterpiece God designed us to be, we have to be righteous. And just to be honest, some of you just like, I'm not playing that game yet. You're not ready to go there yet. And y'all, you cannot be the the person God created you to be unless you are willing to live your life according to what is good, right, and true. And you're just gonna, you're gonna get beat every time. And then spiritual people not only live by the truth and righteousness, but spiritual people are characterized by peace. And your relationships are peaceful. You are a person of peace because whenever you heard the gospel and your sin was forgiven and God showed you love and kindness and forgiveness to take you in, 
You who have experienced that, you then treat others in your relationships the very same way. And so, y'all, to reach our potential, we have to become spiritual people. Now, if you look at this list, this is fairly overwhelming. Like, if you don't know anything about this, or you've never heard of it, or you're like, I'm not even sure I think any of this is true, then how do you move from where you are to wearing the full armor of God? Well, that's where the third thing that we've been saying over the last few weeks comes in to help us. This doesn't happen suddenly, and it never happens alone. You become a spiritual person when you begin to hang out with other people who also want to be spiritual. When you start hanging out with other people who say, I'm going to live my life based on the truth. I'm going to pursue hard after Jesus. I'm going to order my life around him. Whenever you say, I'm going to get rid of the routines and change my routines that exclude God. I'm going to imitate God by giving my life away. I'm going to ditch the darkness. I'm going to live according to what is good, right, and true. I'm going to allow others to speak into my life. I'm going to care for those who've been entrusted to my care. For you and me to do these good works, we can't do that alone. We have to be with other people. Now, I want to use this example today. You and I right now are sitting in rows, right? Like you can look down your row. And this is fun and it's good. And I'm glad we're here doing this. But this alone for 30 minutes or an hour on a weekend, once a week, is not going to turn you into a spiritual person. Sitting in rows will never make you and me spiritual. It helps, it gets us jump started, it encourages us, but it never actually clothes us in the armor. To get spiritual, we have to move to a second level. It's called circles. Not rows, but circles. Because circles is where you and I get with other people we hang out and talk. Isn't that what you do? Like last night, we barbecued over at my house. What are we doing? We're all sitting on the deck, all family, in a circle. We didn't say, hey, you got to sit in a circle. It's just what we did. <laughs> you know, you go out to get a drink with some friends. What do you do? You sort of sit in, you know, some semi-circle. And you talk about life. And you talk about what's important to you. You get in circles. Circles is how you and I change. We get with other people who also want to be spiritual and want to follow Jesus. And so this is what I'm asking you to do today. To say, oh, I got to get all the armor on. It's too big. You can't do it. You can never get your arms around that. So what you do is you just take the next step. And we're providing you a next step to get into circles. And so get your phone out. I know a bunch of you like, Witty, I had my phone out the whole time you were talking. Like I was watching something else. Well, good. Use it now for what I want you to use it for. Get your phone out, and I want you to text the word CIRCLE to this number. When you do that, you're going to immediately get a response, and the response is going to give you a chance to sign up to be the first person to hear about the new CIRCLES that are starting here at City Church this fall. Y'all, we're not going to use it for anything else. We don't have enough staff to use your number for anything else. All we care about is you getting connected to a circle. And while you're doing that, I wanna tell you one more reason why you have to do it. 
A bunch of years ago, I tried to start a church in San Antonio. I failed pretty miserably, but there was a couple who came alongside and tried to help Linda and me succeed. And they were good people. They, 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 were, just, they were a great couple. They, they were supportive of what we were doing. They were involved on the weekends. They were generous in giving their finances to help us accomplish this. They worked with us. Not only that, they were good to, to me personally. I grew up in a family. We didn't have any money growing up. There was no money for like dental care in my family growing up. This guy was a dentist. And so he just took care of all my childhood problems when I was a young adult. And he did it for free. And that was meaningful to us because, you know, back in the mid 80s, Linda and I didn't have any money. And so not only that, they became good friends. They'd have us over to eat. I remember we'd eaten with them one evening and all of a sudden I heard this and I didn't know what it was. You know what it is though, right? It was a coffee grinder. I didn't know what it was. He brings me out this cup of coffee. I still don't connect it to the grinder. I take a drink of it. He's, I said, what is this? He said, that's fresh ground coffee. It's what coffee's supposed to taste like. And it's like, I'm in. You know, I've been drinking coffee ever since. That's a good friend, right? Then he's a dentist. He's got a red Corvette. I'm a poor preacher boy. I'd go over to his house. He'd throw me the keys. Hey, Witty, take the vet for a spin. You know, and I'm on the boulevards, like, you know, feeling really good about myself, right? I mean, y'all, these people were good friends and their kids. They had two kids. We didn't have any yet. They're a few years ahead of us. They had the most awesome young daughter and son. They were just the most tender, special young kids. I still say that about them. Well, Linda and I eventually went overseas, became missionaries in East Africa. We were gone four years at a time. We kind of lost track of them. And so we were shocked to hear a few years later that this couple was divorcing. It's like, what? Not only that, but she was kind of going through a breakdown. She was in tremendous depression. And, and on top of all of that, maybe the most unbelievable things is that their kids, who were now young teenagers, were in total rebellion. It's like, what happened? Well, eventually the rest of the story came out. Over time, my friend got involved in pornography. But then it wasn't enough just watching pornography. He started producing pornographic videos. This guy quit living by the truth. He took off the breastplate of righteousness and he became an easy mark for the devil. And he lost everything. You know, some of you are wondering, like, why doesn't my life work? It's because you're an easy mark. You know, there is a spiritual battle going on. You cannot win it alone. Send the text. So, Heavenly Father, we, we pray for ourselves. Pray that you would help us. Learn how to live a life that reaches our full potential and that honors you. And we pray this together in Jesus' name. And everyone said.